1: and the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection.
0: Hey, guys, it's Bobby Bones. I host The Bobby Bones Show, and I'm pretty much always sleepy because I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. A couple hours later, I get all my friends together, and we get into a room, and we do a radio show. We share our lives, we tell our stories, we try to find as much good in the world as we possibly can, and we look through the news of the day that you'll care about. Also, your favorite country artists are always stopping by to hang out and share their lives and music, too. So wake up with a bunch of my friends on 98.7 WMZQ in Washington, D.C., or wherever the road takes you on the iHeartRadio app.
1: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?
2: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. the podcast. I'm Kristen and I'm Caroline. And today we are talking about women's role in peacekeeping, peacemaking uh, in the context of global security, conflict resolution, ending wars. um, And And apparently we're good at that. Yeah, we're really great at it. (laughs) And by we, I mean women, not necessarily Caroline and I. (laughs) Yeah, I've never uh, made or kept peace. You just on the global scale. You just make fights, global fights, yeah. fist fights. Hey, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We wanted to to talk about women in peace today, uh, partially because of some comments that Hillary Clinton made. Hillary Clinton, also known as not also known as, but her official title as a Secretary of State <laughs> of the United States of America. She was at a women's breakfast in Munich in early February and she was commenting on the need to get more women involved in the international peacekeeping process because she points out that women and children are the primary victims of 21st century conflict and says, quote, in the last two decades, dozens of conflicts have persisted because peace efforts were unsuccessful. Talks broke down, agreements were broken, parties found it easier to fight than to negotiate, and far too often in these failed efforts, women were marginalized, making up, by one estimate, just 8% of all peace negotiators.
3: Right, which is, it is a very tiny percent, and she is, she speaks the truth. But there are three very important women that we should talk about who have been involved in the peace process, and those are the winners of the 2011 Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, which was awarded in October, and they went to Liberian President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, who is a Harvard-educated economist and the first woman to be elected president in modern Africa, peace activist Leymah Gabawi, also of Liberia, and a pro-democracy campaigner from Yemen, Tawakal Karman.
2: And this was seen as um, a really significant Acknowledgment of um, women's role in peacemaking and also sort of a a call to get more more women actively involved in the formal processes because as we'll talk about in the podcast it isn't that women have been completely inactive it's just that we've had to work outside of um, the the formal negotiating processes through grassroots organizations uh, protesting organizing other women in the community in order to get attention and uh, and work in that way. So, the, the United Nations is also gonna be a pretty strong theme in today's episode because it's getting more women to the peace talks tables, um, is, is one of their primary focuses right now and this goes back to the year 2000 when former UN Secretary General Kofi Annan uh, said that for generations women had served as peace educators both in their families and in their societies and they proved instrumental in building bridges rather than walls and I don't know about you Caroline but that quote right there really starts to hint at the undercurrents of why women are so desired at the peace table, the theory behind what women bring, our unique skill sets that we bring with us.
3: We do have unique skill sets. And as uh, as Gabawi said uh, after the Nobel Peace Prize was awarded, She said, it's finally a recognition that we can't ignore the other half of the world's population. We cannot ignore their unique skills. And so, yeah, what, what are our unique skills as women? Um, according to retired Lieutenant General Orit Adato of the Israeli Defense Forces, uh, she says that we have soft skills. Uh, she spoke, uh, with a bunch of other, uh, female peacemakers, uh, at a, meeting at Harvard University back in January, and she said that we have skills like the ability to see the whole picture, but at the same time to identify and give our attention to the details, to contain situations and deal with them, and to balance priorities. Another woman who was at the meeting was Samira Hamidi, director of the Afghan Women's Network, who said that women are likely to show commitment to the process. And Rebecca Joshua Akwesi, founder of the Sudanese Women Empowerment for Peace, Uh, said that women recognize the importance of building up civil society and individual
2: rights to create long-lasting peace. And the idea behind that is that women are particularly invested in preventing and stopping conflict because we are the ones who deal with the impact, the communal impact. Um, I can't remember where the, the quote's from, but it's a common brunt that women have to bear on, on the home front, no matter where they are or what side of a conflict, um, their, their respective, uh, nations might be part of. But another reason, too, why women need to be brought into the peacemaking effort is that there is such a legacy of failure at this point from how the traditional peace negotiations usually work. And this is coming from the U.S. State Department. Um, for instance, nearly half of the agreements that ended conflicts in the 1990s failed within five years of signing it. Five years. Right. uh, Making it pretty incredible that, you know, that the um, civil war resolution in the United States even has held on for so long. Um, Also, (laughs) according to the World Bank, speaking of civil wars, 90% of civil wars in the 21st century occurred in countries that already had a civil war in the previous 30 years. And so they think that the pitiful success rate might also have something to do with that lack of a female element that might theoretically look beyond just getting that handshake, getting the signature on the peace treaty to actually building those community bridges and rebuilding those nations.
3: Exactly. And speaking of rebuilding, this is also, um, this was cited Uh, On the State Department website, according to research conducted by the International Crisis Group in Sudan, Congo and Uganda, women who participate in peace talks often raise such issues as human rights, security, justice, employment, education and health care. All of these being issues that are fundamental to reconciliation and rebuilding, which basically serves as the foundation for lasting peace, not just Bringing down or bringing the conflict to a close, but actually supporting people in their efforts to rebuild.
2: And the fact of the matter is women have also proven themselves as capable peacemakers and community m- members and menders. Uh-huh. See what I Ooh, did that's there? That's good. Um, in, a, in a global context. And, and just some examples. In Rwanda, for instance, in the 2003 parliamentary elections, women won 49% of the seats. And in 2008, it became the first nation with women making up more than half of parliament with 56.25% of the seats. And because of that, they have made significant contributions to post Genocide recovery and reconciliation, um, and on the other side of the world, in El Salvador, women's participation in negotiations have had a significant impact on the inclusion of women and non-combatants in reintegration benefits programs, and that's a really good example of how um, a lot of times when you when you look at these case studies of how uh, the, or the different issues that women have brought to the table, it is more inclusive of minority members or overlooked members of the community.
3: Right. And women are typically, according to a lot of these studies that we found, more tip, uh, more willing to cross lines, whether those are ethnic lines, party lines. And going back to Rwanda, which you mentioned, um, after the 1994 genocide, uh, several of the wives of the men who were involved in in this atrocity, they, they came from different ethnic groups and political parties and ended up working together to create programs to assist survivors with housing, health care, education and employment. So, again, they're coming together from these opposite corners to help support citizens. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and just for another example, going over to North Ireland, in 1998 with the Good Friday Agreement, women negotiators secured commitments to involve young people and victims of violence and reconciliation and to accelerate the release and reintegration of political prisoners and also to ensure integrated education, another thing that comes up a lot of times, uh, integrated education systems and housing into those peace accords.
3: Yeah, and uh, women were also seen as honest facilitators. I don't know what the perception is of men, if they're dishonest in particular, but according to a UNIFEM report uh, that referenced interviews with peace negotiators, uh, they revealed that women's abilities to communicate, empathize, which we've talked about several times on the podcast, uh build trust and engage all sides, fostered negotiation and compromise, and... Just their presence, just being there, seemed to calm men down. Apparently, men were less likely to be aggressive around the negotiating table if women were present.
0: Hmm. 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 Okay. So, a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair.
1: I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something...
0: And Sundays on NBC, watch it live. There's sure to be big twists and huge surprises.
1: So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone.
0: The all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls Sundays on NBC and stream anytime. So we've
3: been talking a lot about uh, a lot about what women bring to the table and why it is so important to have them there. Um, closing the gender gap alone in in negotiations like this can often lead to a more stable society and more productive peace talks and in recognition of this and in a way to encourage more women to be involved uh, the U.N. Security Council adopted Resolution 1325 in the year 2000, and it urged member nations to ensure increased representation of women at all decision-making levels and in the mechanisms for the prevention, management, and resolution of conflict. And it basically called for the inclusion of women in the entire process. And we mentioned that, you know, uh, Clinton had this this breakfast in in Munich for women. this <laughs>
2: Hillary Clinton ate breakfast. In she Munich. ate breakfast
3: in <laughs> Munich one time and she said uh, that with the adoption of of the resolution, we tried to make a very clear statement that women are still largely shut out of the negotiations that seek to end conflicts
2: well, and I think it's also this this Huge issue of the nature of 21st century conflict where a lot of times, um, the major damage is not done on the front lines anymore, but felt more in those. Communities, um, And because men and women experience conflict differently, they understand the peace process differently and only by bringing everyone to the table. We're not saying that, that men should be excluded by any means, but by including more women, the U.N. thinks that um, they can ensure greater global security um so what has happened since they they voted unanimously for resolution 1325 well mixed results yeah <laughs> um just to understand their logic for it um, the un felt that women are critical for empowering women in the host community, Mm -hmm. for the screening of female ex-combatants, assisting female ex-combatants during the process of demobilizing and reintegration into civilian life, especially for preventing um, sexual violence and abuse, Um, and also interviewing survivors of gender-based violence, mentoring female cadets at police and military academies, and this is a really key one that we've seen with uh, how the US military has used female soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan to engage with the community um this issue of interacting with women in societies where women are prohibited from speaking to men and at that point like having having female police officers and female soldiers in those Um, conflict-ridden areas is so crucial for engaging the community. Um, And they also say that the presence of women peacekeepers can help by doing all of that, reduce conflict and and confrontation, improve access and support for local women, empower women in the community, which, as we've mentioned on the podcast many times, is linked to um, greater community security, better education, better outcomes for the children. According to
3: uh, UNIFEM, they, UNIFEM, very important organization, they took a look at women's roles uh, since 2000, uh, the typical roles that women have had in peace negotiations, and really the roles have mostly been from the sidelines, uh, traditionally, going way back, not just, not just since the resolution, but um turns out that the UN has never officially appointed a woman as chief mediator of a peace process. Right. Which... That's just silly. Uh, and few women have actually been signatories to the text of accords. So we haven't been putting our John Hancock on them either. And uh, while women have served as witnesses to the process, their role is largely representational. We end up, we women, not me again, um, we usually end up holding parallel peace conferences uh, to, to the major one just so that people are aware of our opinions and... And what we find to be important. So it also kind of serves to highlight the fact that we are often excluded. So we end up holding these parallel, uh, either grassroots type of protests or just m- meetings in general.
2: But Caroline, one reason why there might be still a limited role for women in peacekeeping is this key statistic that uh, 10 years after Resolution 1325 went into effect, only 16 countries had developed national action plans for implementation, which was part of that UN um, security resolution asking all of its member nations to sit down and say, hey, how can we get more women involved. And since a lot of those nations haven't even done that, for instance, uh the US National Plan Action Plan on Women, Peace and Security was only drafted last year. Um I think that's one of one of the reasons why we're still seeing that big gender gap. But one question that we haven't addressed yet is whether or not gender the you know, the construct of gender really makes all of the A difference. Because all of this is based on the notion of gender mainstreaming, um, which is a process of assessing implications for women and men of any planned action, including legislation, policies, programs in all areas and at all levels. Essentially, it's, it's providing, you know, trying to equalize those numbers of women and men. But is gender the issue or are we only perpetuating stereotypes of the female you know, the construct right, that we're just that we're nurturing and we're bringing all these soft skills to the table and unnecessarily masculinizing the people who are already there.
3: Yeah, I mean, that that's a very good point. Um, but it seems to be that I, well, I can't answer that, but it seems to be that women are bringing just a different perspective and a different set of skills, whether they are soft or hard skills to the table. And we seem to be bringing um, different demands. And according to Unifem, um, in about 75% of the demands that they looked at from from women negotiators, women have highlighted sexual violence as mm-hmm. a special concern. So we're bringing a perspective that maybe male negotiators
2: aren't putting as much weight on. But one argument against this emphasis on gender is the idea that it's unnecessarily feminizing peacekeeping. Um, and it, it's this thing that... Because women's innate peacefulness, I say innate in quotes, has long been lodged as an argument against allowing women's participation in the military, it's now being used as a force for their inclusion. So it seems like these kind of, uh, they're, it's the opposite sides of the same Coin, but like you said, I mean the kind of issues that that women are bringing to the table um, are are very important. Those the huge issues, especially of post conflict sexual violence,
3: right, which is often used as um, a way to uh, oppress an entire group of people, right? Um,
2: it's it's definitely a, a tactic of warfare. It's not the issue of gender, but empowerment that makes the difference. And this is coming from a study of gender and conflict resolution within a workplace context, but I feel like it applies pretty nicely to um, peacekeeping as well. And this is coming from Carol Watson at Rutgers University's Center for Negotiation and Conflict Resolution. And they found that in, in conflict resolution scenarios, power was a better predictor of feelings, behavior, and outcomes of managerial negotiations than gender. And regardless of gender, empowerment correlated to greater expectations of cooperation from opponents, feeling more powerful in control and more satisfied with outcomes. So it's kind of the idea that if you if we open up these doors for women to sit down at that table instead of having to go through these external routes mm-hmm. um, just to get someone's attention uh, and and bring equal power to the negotiating tables, then perhaps we could break beyond those gender barriers and really come up with something lasting and long term. I mean again, this is all theory. But I thought that that was uh, an interesting component to add to this discussion.
0: Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair.
1: I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, (laughs) then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh, my God. We've all been there. Pantene's Rosewater Collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rosewater because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you.
2: And I also feel like, uh, one, one thing that's important to bring up from the U.S. National Action Plan on Women, Peace and Security, which is their outline for their goals for, uh, gender mainstreaming with, um, conflict resolution, disaster relief, humanitarian efforts. And one of those is mobilizing men as allies. And I think that's something else that's often left out of this conversation of the, you know, the need to bring women to the peace table, but also, um, bringing in the men and remembering uh, that half of the conversation as well. Because this isn't about gender exclusion. You know, this is more about an inclusion. And I think that uh, it's important to remember that that those guys are also the allies, too.
3: So we've definitely touched on how, <laughs> more than touched on it, but we, we've we've shown you how women are not as involved in the peace process as they should or could be and the gender-blind peace accords are still the norm. I mentioned earlier about how women are more likely to bring up uh, sexual abuse as a tactic of warfare and how that needs to be prevented. And um, UNIFEM took a look at 300 peace agreements, and that uh, roughly corresponded to 45 peace processes since 1989, and only 18 mentioned sexual gender-based violence. Um, so... Maybe if we do bring more women to the table, bringing their perspective,
2: these peace agreements will not just focus on women as an accessory. Right. I mean, and, and also to that point, um, with that UNIFEM study that you mentioned, out of the 585 peace agreements, only 25 even referenced. Um, general political and legal equality on the basis of gender or non-discrimination. So it's beyond just sexual violence. I mean, it, a lot of times just issues of human rights mm-hmm. are overlooked. And, um, since women are often marginalized, more marginalized than men, that is a unique perspective that needs to be brought to these tables. Correct. Um, so we don't have all of the answers for it, but I think that it's pretty clear that while, um, women are not necessarily superior peacemakers we are necessary um actors in that process right because i mean you know we talked about gender equality and gender
3: mainstreaming to get people men and women on an equal footing i just think that women's issues are not just women's issues they're human rights issues and women who are uh raped or attacked during wartime that's a major issue for the society in which the conflict is happening. And so that needs to be a major focus of the, whatever peace agreement's going on as well. It can't just be, yeah. I mean, yes, we want to end the conflict, but it can't just be about like, okay, it's done now let's move on, everybody's happy now, right? No, there has to be some attention paid to rebuilding these people and rebuilding these towns.
2: Right, and that also goes for disaster relief efforts, humanitarian efforts, um, basically gender mainstreaming across the board. Whenever it comes to community rebuilding, it's something important that needs to happen. And hopefully um, we will see more more action, more empirical data to prove that that people are really taking UN Security Resolution 1325 more seriously. But I think it's pretty rad in the meantime that Hillary Clinton is speaking out on behalf of getting more women to the table. Mm -hmm. So that's all we have to say about Women in Peace. Anyone out there who has studied this or has been um, active in peace, processes of <laughs> any sort. Uh, yeah, at the at the top or maybe just a grassroots. Hillary Clinton, you know, if you're listening, yeah. that's cool too. You can email us, at discovery.com And we have a couple of completely unrelated letters to read to you.
3: All right. This is an email from Ryan about our wrestling podcast. And he said, this is incredible. I'm so glad. I'm so glad he emailed us. He said that my wife's aunt, Johnny Mae Young, started pro wrestling in 1941. She's gone by multiple titles, including Matriarch of the Mat. She appeared in a Raw event as late as 2002. But one of our favorite bits about her is her Jay Leno interview with Snoop Dogg. YouTube no longer has it due to copyright, but it was hilarious. I haven't seen it yet, but a documentary was made about her and her wrestling partner, called Lipstick and Dynamite and he uh, he references Wikipedia if you want to read more about Johnny Mae Young
2: and i got one here in response to our episode on faking orgasms uh, from a Fabio and he writes don't do it you are basically rewarding for bad performance and teaching the man that what he just did was correct the result is that he will continue doing the wrong thing don't worry about the ego. It's a myth that guys are fragile about prowess. The attitude of Harry in the movie is not accurate at all. That's when Harry met Sally. Uh, we know very well that when that we get faked because most of the time we can tell, we don't say anything so as not to make a fuss and bruise your ego. Oh. For some reason, many women think that they are awesome at faking it, but I'm sorry, it just makes you look shallow. When praise is a lie, it's just bitter. Not faking will also make all those times when it does happen all the more special, and he might just stick around and talk a little. <laughs> he might, and he might just stick around and talk a little longer during the afterglow. We also know that some women simply can't or don't consider it a necessity, and that's cool. The only time you can justify faking is if you want to get it over with and plan to never have sex with that person again. So there's your guy's perspective on faking. Orgasms, that's what I mean, faking. And if you have anything, again, to send our way, momstuff at discovery.com is the address. You can also head over to Facebook and leave us a comment there or tweet us at momstuffpodcast. And you can read all of the things that we've been working on over at our parent site, howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, "Stuff from the Future." Join House of staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House of Work's iPhone app has arrived. Download it today
1: on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? So here's something that some of you might find shocking.